This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Three, two, one. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. PFAS is, I feel like, such a huge topic right now. Um, for you know, public, for regulators, for drinking water utilities, for almost everyone at every level. That's Dr. Carly Sampson with Corona Environmental Consulting in a recent webinar presented by the Water Quality Research Foundation. And welcome to WQA Radio, where we bring you news and insights about the water treatment industry and promote better water quality around the world. This is episode number 285. If you're joining us for the first time or perhaps new to the industry, we're glad you're here. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. That's the magic of podcasting. And be sure to share the podcast with someone you know. We're publishing this on September 21st of 2022. And you can find out more about us at wqa.org and follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. In this episode, we feature a portion of a recent WQRF webinar, Protecting Public Health Through Predictive Modeling. You'll hear Dr. Carly Sampson, Project Manager and Water Process Engineer with Corona Environmental Consulting. The focus of the study is looking ahead to see which drinking water contaminants will be of greatest concern over the next five to 10 years and what role point of use and point of entry water treatment products can play. Later, our WQA Motivational Minute and WQA Tip. Now on to Dr. Carly Sampson on WQA Radio. Just kind of a graphic summary. So we took all these different data sources that we've been talking about, um, went through some data analysis, as well as just sort of um, kind of a review and using our own judgment based on our understanding of um, you know drinking water as well as um, some of the contaminants that are a, you know a real concern for um, the near future and ultimately put together a list of 36 contaminants. Um, and then with those 36 contaminants, we went through sort of a ranking based on two qualitative metrics. And this is now trying to look at um, bridging into, you know, what can we actually do about these contaminants and what treatment is available, especially in terms of point of use, point of entry. Um, so the first thing was to identify how much of a priority are each of these drinking water contaminants. And that really takes into um, account some of sort of the health um, concerns, you know, are they health concerns? Are they just aesthetic concerns? Um, and kind of ranking the contaminants in that um, format, as well as, you know, what's available for point of use, point of entry treatment. So um, is there established point of use, point of entry treatment? Um, and we were specifically looking at some of the NSF, um, ANSI uh, removal cl claims um, and standards. So trying to make sure that, you know, there are approved um, treatment available. 
Um, we also looked at categorization based on whether point of use, point of entry treatment was maybe available, but still really needed some further research, testing, and or validation um, just to verify um, the performance and uh, sustainability of those treatment options. Um, and then there were some where point of use, point of entry uh, were not established, not available, or not applicable. And so we wanted to make sure identify um, contaminants where that was the case. Um, and one final thing that we did in this process was also reach out to the WQRF task force, understanding that um, many of the members of um, you know, WQRF and WQA are really the um, expertise in terms of point of use, point of entry devices. Um, and so in terms of our ranking, I'm just showing the results here for the contaminants that were identified as medium and high priority. Um, and so we sort of grouped them based on, again, their priority as drinking water contaminants, as well as the point of use, point of entry treatment category, whether um, there was you know, established treatment, um, available treatment, but needed some further effort, um, or whether you know, treatment was either not established, not available, or not applicable. Um, and I'm just gonna run through a few examples um, so, for example, PFAS is, I feel like, such a huge topic right now um, for, you know, public, for regulators, for drinking water utilities, for almost everyone at every level. Um, so, kind of to run through why PFAS was identified in this model. Um, so, it was definitely identified in the regulatory horizon review. There is a draft regulation that's expected this fall for PFOA and PFOS. Um, it was included as part of EPA's UCMR3. Um, you might notice that it wasn't um, included, though, in the results that I showed for the UCMR review. Um, during UCMR3, there were um, very high um, uh, reporting limits for the analytical methods available. Um, and so it is very possible that a lot of the um, PFAS contamination really was not uh, detected during UCMR3, um, but PFAS is included in the upcoming UCMR5, which um, is set to start in 2023, um, which will use more updated analytical methods and there will actually be 29 analytes um, or 29 PFAS compounds that will be included in this. Um, so it will be uh, very interesting to see. It will represent sort of the greatest um, or most complete occurrence data uh, once that um, UCMR is completed. Um, and PFAS was also just a dominant result in terms of news articles, recent publications. There's just been a lot going on with PFAS also in terms of um, state regulations. So uh, it's definitely a hot topic and definitely a priority con uh, concern. And we expect it to continue to be a priority contaminant in the next five to 10 years. Um, and also since the modeling effort, um, I believe this came out after our report was published, um, EPA did release updated health advisories for PFOA and PFOS, which actually are below um, 
the detection level with available analytical methods. And it also released new health advisories for PFBS and Gen X, so two other PFAS contaminants. Um, and in terms of sort of the results from our modeling approach, we grouped PFAS into two groups. So for PFOA and PFOS, they're actually um, our established point of use, point of entry treatment options. And the reason why we sort of separated these two contaminants out from the rest are they had NSF or uh, ANSI certified point of use, point of entry um, treatment for PFOS and PFOA removal claims. So um, we were really using that as sort of a um, threshold for including contaminants in this uh, treatment category one. Um, and so some of the treatment um, available is uh, reverse osmosis or RO, granular activated carbon or GAC, as well as anion exchange resin, just to name a few of the um, treatment options that are available. Um, in terms of other PFAS uh, contaminants, and there is a long list of them, I just listed a few examples of some compounds. Um, we categorized these in, a, in the treatment category two, which um, again specifies there is available treatment, but um, really could use some further research, testing, and or validation. And specifically as a guideline, we were really looking for that NSF, um, ANSI, certified point of use, point of entry uh, treatment certification or removal claim. Um, one other example um, is nitrate. So why it was identified, um, nitrate was still um, one of the contaminants that results in the greatest number of violations. Also one of um, the contaminants with the greatest number of public water systems with occurrence above the MCL. Um, there were also uh, some news articles still available. There were some news articles relating um, nitrate contamination with some of the climate change um, research that's going on. So still a hot topic. Um, and uh, also in the chemical release data that Margaret shared, it was one of the um, top released um, uh, chemical groups. So um, released, or sorry, identified in this model in terms of point of use, point of entry treatment, um, this was also a category one. So there is established point of use, point of entry treatment options. Um, there is an NSF ANSI certified uh, treatment for nitrate removal claims. Um, and just to list some of the treatment options, we have reverse osmosis or RO, um, anion exchange resin. Um, and it's important to note here that this is subject to um, uh, competition. So sulfates, com a competitive ion exchange. So there are available um, nitrate selective anion exchange resins um, that may be um, the way to go depending on um, water quality and co-occurring contaminants. Um, and then one last example, I also wanted to pull just um, another example, one that didn't have that treatment category one. So. Legionella is um, also a hot topic right now. It's a microbial contaminant. 
Um, there has been discussion about Legionella in some of the um, discussion going on around the potential future changes to EPA's microbial and disinfection byproduct rules. Um, also, there was um, a lot of recent publications and have been conference pre presentations related to Legionella and specifically Legionella pneumophila. Um, it was also a contaminant included in EPA's draft CCL5. Um, and so looking at the point of use, point of entry treatment, um, there are available treatment options, but um, we really felt like they needed further research, testing, and or validation. Um, so there was no NSF or ANSI certified treatment, um, but some available options include ultraviolet or UV light, as well as ozonation. Um, and then just a brief summary, um, ultimately, this study resulted in a quantitative model that was developed to utilize available data, um, which included violations, occurrence data, um, approaches to uh, look at public researcher and regulator interests and concerns, as well as chemical production and release data. And the outcomes of the model were to identify drinking water contaminants that were likely to be of greatest concern in the next five to 10 years, um, to evaluate the point of use and point of entry treatment options available, and to really try to identify opportunities for the point of use, point of entry industry to help protect public health in the uh, near future. Um, and looking ahead, um, our recommendations would be to try to repeat this modeling process about every you know, two to five years. It is a repeatable process, um, although it's noteworthy that it is a qualitative model and it does rely on some expert knowledge and judgment. And so just to give some examples of this, um, the production data to really analyze and understand it, it helps to have an understanding of public health impact um, from the contaminants that are identified. And for example, the release data does rely on some understanding of the release pathways and whether the, um, there's likelihood that those chemicals will end up in drinking water. Um, and then it's important to note that the modeling process really does depend on updated data. Um, EPA is currently releasing their six-year review for data. So some of the data related to microbial and the disinfection byproduct rules. Um, those contaminants have been released, but not the remaining data. Um, and this data set is up to 2019. Up until just, I think it was last week, there was only um, data from six-year review three available, which was only up till 2011. So um, it's really difficult to rely on data that is that far out of date. Um, we were very fortunate to be able to use the WQRF contaminant occurrence study database. Um, and again, uh, that is something that's uh, being looked at for updating as well. And now our motivational minute. You know the expression, actions speak louder than words, right? Actions can also cause us to move closer toward our goals. We need actions to align with our messaging, our marketing, and our customer service. 
we can't say one thing and do something else because, well, that's a problem. We need actions to prompt us, prompt us to serve. After all, serving is, is really acting in some effective and helpful way, isn't it? Take action and help. Take action and serve. We need actions to help us realize that the outcomes that we have set are on track, our goals. If we merely think of a goal, or even write it down, both important, we have not moved any closer to the goal. But <laughs> when we act, our actions begin to build momentum, and that's the essence of what we need to serve more people and sell more products and help promote the betterment of water quality. And that's our Motivational Minute. And now our WQA tip. We know it's been tough to hire the workforce you need, especially for dealers. That's why we have our WQA Career Center, where you can post a job and look for that next wave of talent. With the WQA Career Center, you can get the same state-of-the-art services that you would get with commercial job boards and more. Plus, WQA is a member of the Engineering and Science Career Network, so your job posts reach a much wider audience. Go to wqa.org careers to get started. And remember, WQA member companies get a member discount. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, a podcast of the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on most popular podcast apps. Learn more about water at WQA.org and, of course, learn about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at WQA.org. This is Wes Bleed. So long from WQA Radio.